Tane tu, tane kaha, tane ora. Men stand, strong, prosper. Enga mana, enga reo, enga karangaranga maha o te motu, he mihi tine kia koutou katoa. Ko Justin Murray ahau. Ko Maraia Rakuraku ahau, nau mai anō ki te hōtaka nei a te ahikā, our weekly kaupapa Māori show here on Radio New Zealand National. We hope that your new year is going well so far. Matariki is well underway and there's plenty to enjoy. Aida, and really there's no excuses not to see what's going on in your rohe or wherever you are. In Wellington, the Matariki Festival of Māori Contemporary Dance, Kōwhiti, kicks off next week at Te Papatungarewa, the National Museum in Wellington. One of the organisers, Tāne Mahuta Grey, gives us a rundown on what to expect and we get into a kōrero about whether, by having Māori whakapapa, you are creating Māori work. And a culture, I think, dies if it stays static the whole time. It's a bit like a dinosaur. So it, cultures are always fluid, always moving. And I found watching Tamatatini was just wonderful, seeing the different, varied tribal mm. ways. And then also then the ways that the, the town kapaka troops, the city kapaka troops, with the, which way the, kind of they ended up going. So those who held on to their rural roots and kept that alive, or blended in our whole far process. So it was fascinating seeing the whole process of all the different groups and the different qualities. But even then, I'd like to see more exploration happening with our poi and with our... Um uh, our taonga, in a way, uh, that, that, that is going into maybe more Western European kind of constructs. Te wete wete, our review segment is up too, and this time round, Leanne Tamaki is in the whare reviewing Tohu, the album from Maesirika. Plus, there's the usual pānui and waiata, whakatata mai, whakapiri mai, I'm Justine Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakraku. This past week not only saw the start of Matariki, but also Men's Health Week. And one main thing really that was stressed at the launch, hosted by journalist Mike McRoberts, is for men to get regular health checkups. Joe Pukitapu, former CEO of Te Hotu Manawa Māori, now that's the Māori arm of the National Heart Foundation, they worked on initiatives like getting healthier kai served at marae, but one of the most groundbreaking things they worked on was smoke-free marae. Aida, I caught up with Joe at the Men's Health Week launch at Parliament. Kia ora Joe and um, great to meet you today. We've just come from the the, the launch basically of um, Men's Health Week 2010. As a practitioner really who's been in the, in the health field for 30 years, mm. is this a new concept to you? In terms of the concept, I think it's new. it's a new concept in terms of raising the awareness of men's health. Around, uh, around the country. This is probably the first time that there's been a national strategy uh, developed to look at issues that men are faced with. And of course, particularly for us Māori men, I think it's not coincidental that the launch is in the period of Matariki as well. So, I mean, it's significant for, for us because Matariki talks about new birth, new life. And so what a great time for us to launch uh, this initiative particularly a great time for Manatani or Aotearoa to be involved in, a, in such a, uh, an opportunity as this for our Māori men. Mm. You explained that you began your, your, your health um, career on the marae. Oh, no. Just caught it all. 
Um, yeah, well, I, I've had uh, a long association over the last 25, 30 years with health, you know, really starting at the, at the flax roots level and, uh, you know, becoming involved in the marae and the development of programs on the marae, both social programs, health programs and justice programs uh, that supported uh, the development of whānau, hapu and iwi. So I have been involved for, uh, for some time in uh, participating contributing to those sorts of developments. So when you talk about marae being um, back to the, the, the flax roots with the people, with your people? I was uh, spent most of my time uh, developing kōraunui marae in the Hutt Valley and Stokes Valley. However, my, my links are to Waiwetu, through Pukutapu Anau down there, so I have very strong links there as well. My uh, initial reason for getting involved was for that reason, to get involved, uh, to make a contribution to Ngā Mea Māori for our uh, things that, you know, we're going to help advance the cause of our Māori people. And um, working in the marae, what were some of the, the, the results that you saw? I think, you know, working on the marae provided me with, my, with some good grounding, you know, particularly around uh, what, my, what the reason for doing things was. And uh, rather than doing things uh, in spite of our people, we were, I was doing things because of our people. You know, it was really good to see some of the outcomes. You know, a lot of change... Had, had occurred, we had programs operating out of the marae that we never had. But one of the biggest, I guess one of the biggest things for me was getting involved in, in, in more Māori community but getting involved in the politics of uh, those types of developments as well. You know, and, and I guess those things have helped me in terms of where I am and the things that I do today. So, uh, and then from the marae you um, went to Auckland? I went, to, I went from the marae, I went to uh, the Wellington Regional Public Health Service. I worked there for three to four years. I was, I was probably, I was, I think, the first uh, Māori smoke-free officer at the time that they had introduced the, uh, the Smoke-Free Environments Act. And uh, I guess my role was to, uh, to monitor the activities of, um, of uh, retail outlets who were selling cigarettes. So what would you do? Would you go around to... Well, I guess we'd do what they call the sting operations. Yes. <laughs> and um, You'd go around to to... Yeah, to... to see who they were selling cigarettes to. Of course, at that time, they couldn't, you couldn't sell cigarettes to uh, people... Miners. Minus, to minors. And we wanted to test uh, at that time whether or not um, this was being adhered to. So we used to run sting operations uh, through the regional public health service. So would you have had an involvement with smoke-free marae? Oh, yes, yes, yep, yep. And that certainly caught on, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it did. Smoke-free marae. But I think it's great, you know, the the changes that have occurred since uh, over the last 20 years in health, you know, our people are now more aware of the the issues that they're faced with, you know, around smoking. And I should mention, Joe, that, you know, sometimes when I go to a marae these days, I'm actually quite shocked when they're smoking yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's so ingrained sure. that marae, um, where I come from anyway, most of them, if not all of them, I think, are, are smoke-free. So when you go to a marae around the New Zealand, you're like, mm. oh, they can smoke here. So so I went, from, I went from the public health service and I moved to Auckland and I was there as the uh, National Māori Heart Health Coordinator for Tohutu Manawa Māori. While I was there, I had the opportunity uh, to become the first CEO uh, for Tohutu, and my role was to remove uh, all of, or to set up Tohutu Manawa Māori with its own legal identity. Was that a predominantly quit smoking um, organisation? Uh, no, Tohutu Manawa Māori was first set up uh, as Oahe Kore, uh, with an Oahe Kore project. Yeah. Then it moved into nutrition and physical activity, moved into rheumatic fever, and, and it uh, focused its attention on. Uh, on, uh, on those things. How many Māori men did you see 
when you were CEO? Did you see a lot of Māori men coming through? There were. Um, no, actually, no, I didn't. I saw more of the activity and support was really from our Māori women. A lot of Māori men, I, I guess, were uh, were not, still weren't involved in those activities. There were very little Māori men working in health, actually. There was very little Māori men who were getting involved or finding out about uh, some of the issues that they were faced with. Mm. I was there till 2000, and then I moved down to the Hawke's Bay and collaborate and cooperate in the development of health issues you know, and the development of health programs uh, that were already being provided by uh, Māori health providers down in that area. It was great to be able to launch the first or the inaugural Māori Men's Health Conference uh, down in, uh, in Blenheim. This was last year, This though. was last year in 2009. The great thing, uh, great, there have great, been great things that have come out of that. One of them is the establishment of Manatane Oro Aotearoa. Which is what you which represent. Is the, which is the National uh, Māori Men's Health Coalition. Unfortunately, we had to establish it with some urgency because there were resources and funding had become available. We needed to set up a legal entity uh, in order to attract uh, funding. funding. However, in doing that, uh, what we did recognise is there was still a need to go back to uh, develop the constitution of the organisation, yep. which we are doing, uh, and we are doing that with uh, the support of um, Moana Jackson who is helping us to put the, uh, put the framework together for that, for that constitution. So it's very much still in its um, baby stages, yeah, it is. peppy uh, stage. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, we want to do that. We want to be able to take it out and uh, to, to uh, take it out to uh, the mutu and to talk to um, and consult with our tāne Māori uh, around its development. And next year, uh, we are due to have our next national conference. Um, National Māori Men's Conference. Because last year when you held it in Blenheim, it was very successful. It was very 300 successful. We had Māori. 300 Māori men turn up. That is probably the largest gathering of Māori men that we've seen in this uh, in, in this country for the last two decades. And it was in Blenheim, which is quite a small town. Well, I, I, I guess I, I guess the great thing about it is we had some really, we had a really great um, events uh, group at Mukofiti. Uh, who did that? And you know, we actually got the message out across the motu, and we were actually we were actually very surprised about the number of people who'd registered. So, but that was great. It just showed that there was an interest. There was a strong interest by our Māori men. There was a strong interest by our Māori communities to uh, to attend and to find out what was actually happening. Kia ora. I'm talking to Joe Puketapu, Chair of Manatane Ora o Aotearoa. So, Joe, um, now you just had your little um, speech that you gave sure. um, with this um, little group of men here at um, Parliament, and you said resilience, and, and this is a quote, resilience in the face of adversity. What do you mean by that? Well, what we mean is, you know, our Māori men uh, have been faced with a lot of challenges in their, in their lives, uh, either as individuals or as groups. And, you know... Even though those challenges have been put on them, they've been able to get over them, and the, 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 you know they've been able to withstand the onslaught or the challenges that they constantly face, and and have been able to to move on and progress and do the things that need to be done. Yeah. One of the things I also said was it's, this is about also being about Māori men taking responsibility, and if I could just use the term of their own shit. And that's what it's about. It's about Māori men wanting to better manage and be, become more involved in developing initiatives and managing the things that belong to them. I mean, for years we have uh, allowed ourselves to be led, basically. Uh, by others. By others, by our, by, by our wahines. And while there's nothing wrong with that, there is a need for Māori men 
too take responsibility themselves, no longer expecting that other people should deal with those issues for them. Those issues belong to them. Those are the issues that they need to deal with in order to become more involved, not only uh, you know, in, in society, but with their families. I think one of the most important things about, about this kaupapa is men being able to feel good about themselves. It's not about how they look. You know, I, I constantly hear this message, oh, well, let's get out and get fit, let's get out and do this. I'm more interested in the Māori man who wants to feel good about themselves, who wants to be able to, be able to stand up and be proud of who they are. Kōwaiō, who am I? Where do I fit? So are you the... talking about whakapapa? Or you... Oh, I'm talking about not just whakapapa, but about who they are as a person. Mm. So, Joe, um, can we talk um, about the next National Māori Men's Conference? Yes. When, when is that being held? We, uh, that is going to be held uh, in June. We'll be in June next year. The, the, the reason we had it in June last year, because it's coincided with International Men's Health Week, and now we have National Men's Health Week. So it was good that we did that. You know, people think, oh, that's the middle of winter. Well, that's <laughs> but actual fact. But what, what we're also trying to promote is the fact that it's matariki. It's time to look at new things. It's time to look at uh, planting new seeds, preparing the ground, and looking forward to a whole new uh, crop coming forward. And, you know, so I think Matariki is an important period for us as a culture. And I'd like to, and I'd like to use the theme of Matariki when I talk about uh, Māori men's health and the resurgence of Māori men taking control and management of, uh, of their issues. Masirika has been on the music circuit for a while, more or less discovered when she started singing in the legendary St. Joseph's Māori Girls School Choir that's seen the likes of Hiniwihi Mohi, Wana Maniopoto, Ashley Puriri and Firimako Black as its members. So when her debut album came out last year, it was to a degree of excitement and expectation. Ko le en tamaki toku ingoa, no tamakai moana, nga tsimaniapoto hoki. And we're reviewing the debut album by Maisirika Tohu. Tohu by Maisirika, who's from, um, she's whakapapa to uh, Whanaupanui, Ngāti Awa, Tuhoi and um, Samoa, we found out by reading the liner notes. Um, and she, uh, uh, the album was released last year, late last year, 2009. Um and it came off the back of uh, an EP that Macy also released the year before called Macy Rika that included about six tracks. And so it was a nice kind of feeder into her, um, into the album Tohu. And just a little bit about Macy. Um, she has been singing for a very long time. She's one of the um, St. Joseph Māori Girls students who used to be in the the infamous choir. All right, so she was like the feature soloist on um, one album that I know of. She's probably on more. So she was about 13 when she was, you know, the soloist for um, leading those St. Joseph um, Māori Girls School albums. She was also nominated for a New Zealand Music Award. Like when she was at school? Yeah, when she was at school because I remember watching her going up and getting her award in her school uniform. Wow. <laughs> so she's been on the scene for a long time. For a long time. She also famously auditioned for New Zealand Idol. And that's the one where, uh, is it, was it Frankie Stevens? Frankie Stevens. When she got up and what was the way she, she sang? I think she sang, this was after the audition, so she made it to Auckland, Hollywood Week, or whatever they call it, um, 
and she um, sang Poor Karikariana and the comments from Frankie Stevens. I remember it to this day. It was probably like almost 10 years too. ago. This is not the place to make political statements. And I remember when I heard that and gasping. Yep. Going, since when has Pukarikariana been a political statement? Exactly. And for me, if you understood her history, that was just... Her being normal. Yeah, that would just be a song in her repertoire. And she knew she could sing it and sing it well. And it was, you know, kind of iconic in New Zealand. It seemed quite apt. So from then on, kind of had a dis- great dislike for Frank Stevens. Because I just thought he was making a political statement. Mm. She wasn't. So, yeah, she's interesting for so many reasons. And um, if How did she go in the New Zealand Idol? I think after that she didn't make it. So she didn't get very far, which is fine. Cause, Kia ora Frankie. Yeah, he probably saved her from a fate worse than death. <laughs> so she's been in... So from a very young age she's been in the... You could say she's been in the industry. Yeah, which is great because... I mean, how old is she now? She's 26, probably 27 now. So she's been in the industry for a long time. Is it advantageous to Macy that she's been in the industry for a long time? I think it's been good for her in terms of giving her that conf- that confidence, and it really informs her songs on her album. So if we if we think about songs like "Or Mile," which is about you know the place on the east coast within Te here, where she's obviously grown up and. Um, that's where her heart is. Um, songs like that really show her musical background, but also a, it gives a bit of insight into herself. So she talks about it in a quite an idealised way. Um, well, I would think it's... Like an naive? Idea. Yeah, I guess naive. Well, the lyrics come across as naive, and I read in some... So just some information about her that she's written the songs on these albums have been written over ten years, and for me, all my would reflect that kind of progression because some of the lyrics in the song are you know reflect that naivete and um whereas if you look at songs like Fever, which are a bit more adult in their subject matter, you can see that she's probably written it more as an adult and as someone who's gone through a relationship of, you know, quite deep relationship with somebody else. So you can see that progression in her, in her lyrics and in her subject matter. Um, but for me, a lot of the songs are kind of um, waiata aroha, mm. and in the, not in the R&B sense, you know, which kind of simplistic idea of love, but in the waiata aroha sense where right. it's, um, you know, it's about love for... Uh, a place like Omai or, or a love, love for a person like Fever or love for um, a person like her brother. So the song um, Game of Life, she wrote about her brother and just wanting to um, get him off his, get his A into G. She, <laughs> she's, she says on YouTube, so if you want to check Macy out, check her out on YouTube as well. She has her own little channel on there. She talks about how she wrote the song for him because she could see he was just kind of wasting his life and she just wanted to instill some hope in him. So that song for me kind of stands out as one of the highlights. And the lyrics as well um, reflect a real depth 
of both the history of our people, when I say our people, our people is Māori, and within this place, but she also contextualises it in um, a contemporary sense. So, you know, she really aims it at youth and at Māori men in particular, I think, trying to uplift them. So if I can just quote some lyrics from it, um, because they're really, really... um, speak to me and so she talks about um, I think this is in the first verse descendants of chiefs their blood absorbed into this land where we now live as slaves he's found that empty space so it's that kind of you know prose I think also shows the progression in her songwriting but also shows um, gives you a little bit of insight into her now there's a song that kind of stood out for me and it's the one called Nia. What's that about? Nia is about Nia Glassy, um, who uh, unfortunately suffered a fate that we should wish on nobody. Um, young child who was killed by two young Māori men in Noturua. Yeah, that song has quite a lot of feeling and hurt. And I guess as a mother, it's something Macy um, probably feels quite deeply. Um, the lyrics are interesting. She kind of um, uses split ends. I see red, that um, turn of phrase in, in the in the song to uh, kind of convey an, an idea of fury, eh? Um, which is how split ends use it as well. It's just an interesting way um, reference. So that's another um, bit of insight into, I guess, Macy's um, body of knowledge in terms of the music she's been listening to. But it's also um, quite beautifully arranged as well, the songs, and all the songs actually on the album have beautiful arrangements. And they're very, very subtle so that her voice, Macy's voice is absolutely majestic yeah um and it really really stands out so the arrangements don't overpower her voice which i think would be really really hard to do who who arranged it um a man called mahuya bridgman cooper is the producer and he produced um wana as in wana um and the moor hunters her, her latest album, Far, I think that's her latest mm, album. It is. So he was a producer on that one, and he's done a whole screed of other um, albums, and not necessarily ones that you'd think fit into the same genre. So he's done, you know, quite poppy albums as well. So he's, he's I had, I don't really know much about him other than his name and that he's a violinist and he produces albums and makes beautiful arrangements like he's done on Tohu. Um, and I guess another song that stands out for me in terms of the arrangements is a song called Ding Dong. <laughs> Interesting title, and I don't really know what it's about um, when I listen to the lyrics, but um, I like that it's different to the other songs on the album because a lot of the songs on the album are, have quite slow tempos um, and kind of instill you with a sense of etherealness 
because her voice, because Macy's voice is just so. It is ethereal. Yeah, amazing. This is how angels sing. Yeah, because um, there's something in the pitch that's, and it's very, very unique. Yeah, it's her pitch. It's the um, her turn of. Oh, I don't know, the way she uses her voice. Um, it could be almost operatic. It's it's not harsh. It's the, it, But for the song Ding Dong, I just quite like that it's um, held together by hand claps and, <laughs> you know, a bit of um, the top string on the guitar and her voice. And her, it actually pushes her voice to a different um, level. So... Most of the other songs are quite soft, but on this song she actually goes, you know, to a different um, place. And it's it's just such an interesting song title because it's like Ding Dong the Bell or Ding Dong as in when you're calling somebody... A Ding Dong. Stupid. <laughs> but um, my favourite song on the album is actually Musical Pillow, Musical Bed, um, which talks about her, I'm assuming... And I think so, because it sounds like it's straight from experience. Her son creeping into hers and her um, Tani's bed. <laughs> and um, just the sweetness in that song is quite endearing. And you can I really feel like I can see her smiling as she's singing it. It's a nice little ditty. And it's that kind of, it has that way of the aroha vibe that I think is kind of encompasses the whole album. So overall, it seems like she writes and sings about everyday things. She does. She writes about everyday things. And um, she shows a lot of um, promise. Because the, the first time I listened to this album, I, I'm usually a listen to the um, melodies, but because I'm quite familiar with her um I was okay, you know, with actually listening to the lyrics this time. And so for me, that was the, not not the downfall of this album, but it's probably a negative of the album. Um, and I guess it just shows that, you know, she's written these songs when she was probably 16, some of them, and over that lifetime. So her next album is going to be even better, especially in terms of songwriting, I think. Sounds like you're recommending it. I am recommending it. I think everybody should get this album. It's 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 um it's also nice in terms of where we're going. I guess all to place it within the spectrum of Māori music. Yeah. Where? How does she stack up? Oh. Is she the next generation? She's yeah. She's the next generation. She's the now too. So it's, I just like that. It's it has a very Māori sensibility, if there is even such a thing, or maybe it's her whanaupanui sensibility, without having the obvious um, curly kuru shapes, you know? So she really locates it within her, within a place, and so you really feel that sense of identity, but she's not, um, she doesn't have to do it in a very overt way. So that's that's what I really, really like about it.
Kia ora, Leanne Tamaki no Maniapoto, Te Uriwera, reviewing Tohu, the album by Macy Rika. Now head to our website, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. Navigate yourself around and you'll find the details, as well as links to our Facebook page, Become a Friend, Photo Galleries, and well, you get the picture. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Maraya Rakraku, and you're listening to Te Ahika. Man, we've been doing a bit of travelling around the country lately. That's right. You're off to Taranaki tomorrow. I've been in Ngāti Kahununu country around Hastings and Napier. And last week I was in Auckland at the, here we go, 4th International Indigenous Conference on Traditional Knowledge. Jeez, count the letters in that title, um, which is effectively an excuse for a get-together of a whole lot of Indigenous nations to talk about what affects and links us all, right? That's right. And with, get this, 180 sessions held over three days. Now, that's a lot of running around that I did. And by the end of it, my head was just bursting and buzzing. But, you know, it's such heartening stuff. Because, you know, for little old old Teodua, it's good for Māori to contextualise where we are in relation to the world. Because, you know, sometimes we can forget. So I'm guessing identity comes up a lot, Mariah. It came up a lot in some of the sessions. Now, one quarter I went to looked at gangs, right? And frankly, there are a few broad sweeping statements that kind of made me cringe that when stripped back, seemed to assume that terms like whakapapa and whānau, that it can only be realised in a traditional setting. So firstly... When you say whakapapa maraia, I mean, that's a term used to describe genealogy and whānau, which means family, right? So what does it mean by traditional? Now, you see, that that wasn't very clear in this presentation, but I'm assuming, because it's kind of like this is what, there was this huge assumption that was being made that if you're a gang member and you see your whānau as being the gang, that it means that it's actually not? Yeah, because... I mean, that's not really right, eh? Because, no. I mean, whānau is a term that's not necessarily applied to your immediate or even blood relations because it can be used to describe a relationship like our Radio New Zealand whānau yep. of, say, maybe an organisation representing the interests of a whole bunch of people like Te whānau or Waipareira. That's right. You know, Te whānau or Waipareira is a good example. That's the organisation in West Auckland that represents the interests of pan-tribal Māori. So... Going back to the gang corridor, was he saying that a gang isn't a whānau? More or less. And that your whakapapa is only defined traditionally. Now, that's something that I absolutely reject. It's not for you or me to say that someone's genealogy is worth more or less than someone else's. Exactly. And whether you know or even acknowledge it, I mean, your whakapapa as a Māori is determined on conception because it's Mm. not just the here and now. It's something that has been set eons of generations ago, which in a roundabout way brings us to this next kōrero. Yeah. Okay, so next week, the very first Māori Contemporary Dance Festival, Kōwhitsi, kicks off here in Wellington. And as well as the performances and workshops planned over the three days, there's a couple of panel discussions, and I'm guessing we'll have people jumping up and down or at least talking very passionately about it. I'm talking with Tane Mahuta Gray about Kōwhiti, the Matariki Festival of Māori contemporary dance that's taking place at Te Papa, June the 24th to the 27th. 
Now, you've got some panel discussions there and something that I find very intriguing, and I guess this is a corridor that happens across the arts, mm. or actually across anything, really. Yes. If you fuck a pup on Māori, then what is it? Then is what you create Māori? And that's such a, an intriguing question that, that makes us, you know, wonder... I mean, if you do fuck up a Māori, is everything that you create Māori, or is it just certain types of work which have a kind of a Māori flavour to it, Māori? Um, where do you stand as, a, as an artist? And it's, um, that's, for us, it's quite a, a nice quest, question that Metané actually came up with um, to debate that point, and it was one of the points that was brought up at the Te Aitanga Dance Summit in September last year um, for the Māori contemporary dance sector coming together as to where are we placed if you're a Māori choreographer, but maybe you're doing quite Western... Um, uh, Western works, yeah, you know, which is quite different. Yeah, what does that do in terms of tikana? It's like, a, you know, yeah, where, is it? where do you place? Over people's heads. And, and exactly right. The, I mean, I know in Maui we had um, aerialists. I mean, they were nahoe far, so oh. in the show they were, they were winds, but they were females that were flying over the audience. So tikanga-wise, it's it's working in a whole different, you know, space there. But story-wise, it's we have the wind blowing over our heads every day. So mm. it's, you know, so it's the, it's, it's yeah, it, cre- it creates those... Uh, dynamic questions actually and they're dynamic and they're living and they're, they're to be debated and discussed and developed and just to nurture our artists, old and young uh, experienced and, and coming up through the ranks um, to really get an understanding of what we are and what we're part of and, and what's the voice that we want to give out to the world, not only within New Zealand but our local voice that we want to share with the world. So kind of understanding these questions is really key and uh, we have a, a wonderful panel, uh, Tama Huata um, will be joined with Tairoa Royal, um, Piri Shasha will, will come on. Uh, Gaylene Shasha was meant to be in place, but she'll have to hide her to Europe with Fatina Performing <laughs> Arts. And so we couldn't, two hours, if it was two hours earlier, we may have been able to get her there. So it's just a bit of the flight thing. So Pity will take over um, her place, um, and which is a pretty, pretty, a pretty wonderful um, um, opportunity for us for him to be there as well. Um, and then also Stephen Bradshaw, who um, he ran uh, Taiyao for 30 years. So we've got our real experienced um, campaigners in Māori and traditional performing arts to talk that question through. And then Jennifer Shannon, who will be facilitating that forum, which I think is a, a lovely kind of um, mix, really. Because you um, look at Jennifer, she's written um, in, uh, her book about Waita Aranga action songs and, and been able to you know, speak with Aranga Tita of that area around the country. And so she'll be facilitating that. But there you go, you know, there's someone who, thank gosh for our Pākehā influence, otherwise we wouldn't have Tānga for us to keep our, our knowledge alive. So kind of creates another dynamic in that. So I think it's a forum to definitely um, um, go and attend. It's um, on our Friday from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock. So it's, yeah, it should be a great one, actually. It's, and that, that, all those forums and the free, they're all free, um, and we also have lectures, um, are all at the Marae um, over the Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, the 24th to the 27th of June. Um, including in those forum lectures, we have um, uh, Charles Royal and Lou Portiki Bryant. Uh, we'll be talking about their combination process of taking te whare tāpere with um, contemporary dance and Finding that trying to find a traditional older way of working, and they did a piece called Te Karohi Rohi, the Light Dancers. So they'll talk about that process up at, at Tokianga, where that took place in February this year, and that's been working over five years developing that project. So it'd be great to get another kinaki of that that uh, corridor um, to us. And Charles and Lou are always um, are beautiful, expressive people who can really um, engage that dialogue with us. 
Um, I've, I've got a lucky slot to talk about the process of building Maui, One Man Against the Gods, and that process that has, in terms of taking an idea and then building it into a, you know, a, a, a rather large size production and, and the challenges of that in New Zealand. Um, and then also we have forum panels with the four of the choreographers who are performing works at the main show, which is the premiere performances, Corfiti premiere performances at Soundings Theatre. We have 12 choreographers who will present their works there, and um, four of those choreographers, Kat Roca, Nia Gray, um, the Charles Kordoneho, and um, we're hoping actually to jump uh, Tani Mete in there as well because now we know he's coming coming back, uh, coming down with Ty uh, to be a part of it, and also Moss Patterson uh, from um, Connected. Uh, he's general manager for Atamita now, but he's done a lot of choreographies with many of New Zealand's companies. Um, will be part of that corridor there, so it'll be great to to hear that. And then Carla Van Zon will facilitate that as well. So uh, it's uh, yeah. The the, the free, there's also then the free performances on the Marae. Uh, we've got um, Modi, which is a work that Stephen Bradshaw uh, built. Oh, it must be about 15 years ago, maybe now, oh. maybe 12, 15 years. So we're trying to bring back some of these great works. Um, uh, Jack Gray Solace will be uh, performed there. Um, and also... Um, um, we'll have um, a bit more of extended kind of hip-hop of a new uh, a, a form that called New Native Dance are coming up with a Māori hip-hop kind of combination with their styles. So we want to kind of really have something for everyone, really. And then Future Fame, who's our Māori expert in <laughs> electric boogaloo, which is <laughs> Pink James Brown, electric boogaloo, that's cool. his era. So that's our free events. And then we've got the um, a whole series of choreographers coming in for the main performance at Sounding. So it's, um, and that's an amazing collection. We've been very lucky that people have wanted to be a part of it and, and and have provided us with really exciting options to to select works from um, to put uh, curate this program, which myself and Medanir, uh, Gray, my sister, and Jenny uh, Stevenson have been producing and, and facilitating. So it's been a it's a busy time, but it's an exciting time because you know our sector's coming together in a really really exciting way. So uh, for the first time ever, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, as far as we know, it's the first Māori Contemporary Dance Festival specifically for Māori Contemporary Dance, um, with with the, the series of lectures and panels beside them. And, um, I hope we've done our research right there. But the um, also, it's the first time we've got awards as well. So that our our three we've got three life service awards. Which if we do another corporate or another festival ongoing, it'll probably only be one from there on in. But we've got 30, 40 years to catch up on. So we thought we'd do three this time. And for those awards, are for us to recognise people who have made a massive contribution to the Māori contemporary dance um, sector and been able um, been able to find a, a place for us. Newcomers, us emerging Mihaltarangatahi, coming through, Kaputeruha Mihaltarangatahi, our new, our new netters, our new fishers coming through. Um, such a great pathway has been set up for us to continue that travelling, and it's that's really exciting. Because you're a Pākeke, and the names that you've been talking about, I mean, you guys are Tuakana. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, I still kind of think I'm still a bit Taina because <laughs> you've got people like Stephen Bradshaw sure. and Tamahuata and, and, and Gaylene and that, and, it's, right. and that's why it's great with working with Gaylene Shasha at Fitchidea too, because it's just so great to have someone who's been through um, you know 40 years of um, you know 45 years of in the business right from the grass grass grassroots I mean we I wasn't quite there that those times and just to be able to hear those stories and and the challenges they had setting it up and the dreams they had and I'm what guessing happened. some of the challenges exciting. would have come from our people though I, yeah, yeah, you I, know I, really well, feeling I think affronted and, and even now I think mm. you know contemporary work is still not as accepted as as elsewhere and I mean, why do you think that is I think it's building the bridge, actually, but to to our people. And I mean, I think that was something we we 
we kind of got right with Maui was that we found a way to build not only to our own people and people of traditional background because there was a lot of traditional work within Maui, but it was it was formed it was the combination of Western European and Maori traditional work and finding that combo so that people can feel like you've got something that you feel comfortable to connect to and um, and but you'll know you're going to come and experience something a bit different as well but yeah I think that bridged it quite nicely and um, which is quite cool we'll be doing on the big screen a full viewing of Maui it's Indeed. last last season in, in Auckland at the Civic Theatre so full full viewing on the big screen so not done that before so it'll be quite cool to bring that back to life and see that there um, and that'll be on the Saturday um, the and I'll also do a lecture about building Maui as well in terms of that. But back to your question, I think yeah, it's finding that way in to just give people confidence and courage to try something new and give us a try. And and it's a, it's a word to our people out there is that you know we our two point man they were travelling back and forth and another time oh, yeah. back you know seven six seven hundred years ago. There's a lot of people still travelling overseas, but we we kind of stayed a bit enclosed, which is, surprises me because we were travellers, we were journeyers. You know, you look at Hotsuroa and um, you know the journeys these guys. And Atoroirangi and Tamate Kapua and Fakaturia. We took huge risks. Yeah. I mean, the and, we and Kupe, imagine that. Imagine Kupe going out knowing for sure is there somewhere he's going to go to. Mm. And even when we look at the migration across east, as, as the Fakaro's going now, you know, from Taiwan, our routes across there, those navigators who were going back and forth, and that, as they say, finding an island in the Pacific Ocean is like finding, finding a needle yeah. in not one haystack, but yeah. one needle out of 100 haystacks. So you've got to find the right haystack first. I mean, that's the the risks that people took and the adventure they did and and I mean that kind of courage is amazing and 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 I that's part of our blood that's part of our our fucker papa and and I believe that we as people need to open ourselves up to new experiences because that's what makes you enjoy life so much more you know you realize you might not like everything but at least you've got a choice and here we're providing quite a broad palette so hopefully you'll okay for those who don't like the kinder okay they can put that to the <laughs> side but they'll only see three four minutes of that but those who love their kutai nourishing you know and, that, and that's the thing i think it's it's providing that that palette so that we can really share and what where our whakaro of our our, our our sector's going you know and it's, it's some amazing stuff happening I'm, I'm so looking forward to everyone coming together it's gonna be great we end up locking and putting and bloody Māori, fences around ourselves yes. and saying this is how it is it to be Māori. Yes. And it's, do we forget the, the stuff we came from? No, and It no. ends up being so restrictive and so limiting. Well, I agree. But, I mean, you need people to hold the tradition to keep it strong because that's your base, that's your identity. And then, but then, I mean, for me, that was what Māori was it as well. It can end up being it's, a controlling a, thing, though. But it can, totally. Oh, right. totally. And a so it thing. ends up restricting you yes. and mm. what you're able to do. And yes. then when you really look at it, it's... It, it's, it's just making a means of controlling. Exactly right. It's a means mm. of making it fit the the bill, and and it's. But you need your Maui type figures to go out and break break the. And he mold. was breaking things all the time. Completely, he was the <laughs> mo- he was right the mold bra- and, and for, <laughs> for the benefit of humanity in so many cases mm. as well. When you think about it, you know the the philosophies around his whole kopapa were, were amazing for humanity. And if he hadn't broken those barriers down, we would never experience some of those things. And. And it's finding that limit, that balance, really, of to what you can break and not, and that—that's. I think that's life's journey, really, is that you find what you can push and what you uh, can push later, and things like that. I always remember a wonderful story um, when I was reading my readings about Diaghilev, I think the greatest entrepreneur producer in the world of 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 the last two three hundred years, and he created the Ballet Russe, which ended up. Um, taking ballet, he combined people like Picasso and Cocteau and uh, Kasavina, Nijinsky, Pavava, the best dancers, the best uh, musicians, uh, Ravel and um, 
uh, musicians and Stravinsky as well, um, and the best choreographers in the in Europe, and created ballet, made it the, the top elite art form at that time. And Stravinsky, when he they did a playing of Petrushka, when he'd written Petrushka, and the Belgium, he got a, a Belgium orchestra to be able to play it because no one really wanted to play it. It was a bit strange, and they went down to sit down, have a look at the score, and they all said, "What is this <laughs> rubbish?" And they walked off, you yeah. know, and they didn't want to do it. And he had to convince them to do it, yeah. and it's a classic, you know. It's a, but, it, but it was fifty years ahead of its time, you yeah. know. So it was that type of thing of what you know people needed to break from the norm to go through which is happening a lot more now with multimedia nowadays it's just massive what's happening with people able to do and achieve in a way so it's it's um it's maybe in some cases that in some sectors it might be going like too fast and we, we lose a hold of ourselves so it's key to find you need that stability block otherwise you can be off so it's a balance you know mm. so you don't want everyone jumping that way because it just then everyone we get all we we wow wow i think you know yeah. <laughs> now you were saying before that um you know we're just like other people mm. you know we have the rest- we, we, we do self-impose put exactly these right. limitations on yes now do you think that as maori we need to travel more I would like I, to see more because I, I would love to know. I don't know exactly what the exact percentages of Māori that travel, but the um, because you've travelled a lot. Yeah, so I've been lucky. And there's a lot of Māori that do lot. travel, mm. and when they travel, then once they get the bug, then they really they travel. And we, we you know, do twenty, thirty countries. Just um, did the London visa thing, and having spent, um, I was in London for eighteen months, and I used to look after the Kohanga Reel at Natirana. <laughs> On the Saturday mornings, which right. is great. So I was the, the second shooter there over the time for a year, and it was wonderful experience. It was great. And and also it was great because you had a whole network of people who would help you find work and all that thing too. So Nazi Dana, for anyone going to London, don't matter what race, ethnicity, anything you are, um, go join it because it's amazing. It's actually where a lot of Māori have never experienced their kaupapa Māori. They go to London mm. and they feel, oh, I feel something's lacking here. Oh, that's my identity diff- point of difference. They go there and they, it feels whole. And a lot of U- European white, um, you know, Pākehā, Pākehā. go in. Um, and, and, just, yeah. and you start to realise actually when you're out out there, New Zealand's. I mean, it's on a, on on the on the body. We're not even the small little finger fingertip in terms yeah. of our numbers. We're the little bit you bite off your fingertip. That's the numbers population we are. We're so tiny numbers wise, but that but actually we kick above our belt so many times, box above our our, our weight scale so many times because we're very clever at, at using the smaller country. Um, Situation, but using it to our advantage. So you know, it's much easier to be able to facilitate things and make things work than in the higher bureaucracy nations where there's many, many, many millions, if not billions, of people. It's, it's much more struggling to do that. So, um, so, and I found in London, and then travelling around from there, and, and, the, and the Māori that do, I just they just give a broader world view yeah. of what's happening. And it's that broader world view that I think. I mean, the more some of the more successful kapaka troops are the ones who continue to be successful because they go outside and they look at other theatre forms, whether it's opera or musical theatre or um, dance, and find different formations, different ideas, different ways to present work. So, you know, and, and, and a different and sound. Because you know, you're exposed that sound. to different things, eh? You are. So you're willing to take risks and, 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 and something adapt. Out. adapt and, 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 yeah. and, and, and a culture, I think, dies if it stays static the whole time. It's a bit like a dinosaur. So it, it, cultures are always fluid, always moving. And I found watching Tamatatini was just wonderful seeing the different varied tribal mm. ways and then also then the ways that, that the town Kapaka troops, the city Kapaka troops, with the, which way the, kind of they ended up going. So those who held on to their rural roots and kept that alive or blended in our highway far process. So it was fascinating seeing the whole process of all the different groups and the different qualities. But even then, I'd like to see more exploration happening with our poi and with our um, 
uh, Aotearoa in a way uh, that 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 is going into maybe more Western European kind of constructs um, uh, constraints as well. And I think that is something where we could explore actually more. And I was talking with Tanya Kapitko from Dance, who's um, facilitating and, and sponsoring our Corfiti. Uh, festival along with the uh, Wellington City Council and, and CNZ Crab New Zealand. And the um, Tiny was very much um, in, in a bit of research that I've been doing for 50 Day Performing Arts. Was, um, her comment on that was very much the um, poi she feels is such a beautiful form and the, the form's there, but it could go to a completely new space mm. from what we see. You know, the potentials are massive, you know, and, and a piece I created for 50 Day had us front, front facing the front, some facing the back, and you can make such different patterns just from one little simple turn and, and, and light it in an interesting way and you can build something which was quite different, you know, it was, you could see it was Māori but it was contemporary in a kind of an exciting way, so, and that's one piece that we'll be presenting uh, I've been very lucky to work with Tikitane he's allowed me to use his works um, and um, and so I'll be presenting four of those works, three in the main season of Tiki's, uh, main season at Soundings and then also one um, with my Whitiraya students on the on the marae as well, so we need a bit of space for that one because it's, <laughs> it's seven people working the poi in quite an intriguing way. So go and catch that performance for 11 to 12 on the Thursday, the 24th, when Fitzgerald will do their bracket before they hide off to, to Europe. So, yeah, so it should be great. So we'll see you there. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed we will. Tani mahuta grey no ngai tahu he uri o maniapoto hoki. As well as Kofiti, there are heaps of other things going on to celebrate Matariki. And our website, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. We've profiled a few of them, but whatever way you do it to herald in the Māori New Year, do it surrounded by the people that you love. 2010 celebrates 100 years of Māori rugby. This past Friday, the New Zealand Māori team played Ireland, and on Wednesday in Napier, they take on England. Tune in next week for an interview I did with the Māori coach, Jamie Joseph. And I'm with Komatua Nelson Rangi, who has whakapapa to the two founders of Masterton, Joseph Masters and Chief Retsimana Tekoro. Anaira a Joe Poketapu, who you heard earlier in the programme with this week's Whakatauki. Tēnā anō uh, ki a koe mō tō, mō tō wakarongo mai, uh, ka waiho ake nei, uh, te wakatau ki o te mana tāne oro Aotearoa, tāne tū, tāne kaha, tāne oro. Be strong in all things that you do. Kia koutou tāne mā. He mihi atu tēnei ki tā mātou kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ki tā māua kai rā wiki wiki mihini, nā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā atu rā tapu. Mauri ora tātou katoa.